This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week this season, we'll bring you fresh content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations, and our main goal in everything we do, including this podcast, is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. We're about to get into some content from the organization called Legacy Disciple, and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Making Disciples in the City. When making disciples in the hustle bustle of the city, among other places, we're often tempted to think that we have to just add discipleship on top of everything else we're already doing. Well, to help us understand how this is not true, but that we can actually just invite along people, as author Jason Dukes has written, we have an ebook for you called Inviting Along. Download this free resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks. In it, Jason Dukes talks about the five shifts to help you move from informational to relational disciple making. Download this ebook at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now for today's episode. We're featuring Legacy Disciples track session called Where Are You Staying? with Brian Dye as the speaker. It's good to have you guys here. Um, I'm going to sh- hopefully share some ideas. Um, I don't think anything I'm going to say, just to be honest, is going to be rocket science. Um, but I know it's, it's, it's the basic things that I need to remind myself of that are the most key in ministry. You know, so, um, And then we'll, we'll open up uh, for some Q&A at the end, see what questions you guys have on your heart, um, and hopefully be able to answer those as well. So let me, let me pray before we begin. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Dear Father, we pray that you would grow us as disciples of Jesus Christ who love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and who love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord God. So, God, we pray that we would love our neighbors to the fullest extent. Uh, Lord God, that we would serve them, that we would meet their needs, that we would uh, share the gospel truth with them, Lord God, uh, that we would walk with them uh, to full maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if I could give a quick background of who I am. Um, Brian Dye grew up in Chicago. Um, if you're familiar with Chicago, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood called Humble Park, uh, which is a historic Puerto Rican and African-American community. Um, and then uh, 15 years ago, my wife and I moved to West Garfield, which is a predominantly African-American community. Um, so, and my life was, was transformed. I grew up in, on public aid. I grew up in, in a family uh, where both my parents were in the house, which was rare in my community. Uh, but my father was an alcoholic, was distant emotionally, distant relationally. Um, really, just when I got out of line, he would kind of, you know, take care of things. Uh, my mom, uh, so, so he, he quit working when I was like six or seven. Um, he became an alcoholic after that. Uh, my mom has uh, been had bipolar my whole life, um, and so manic depression, she's in and out of the hospital a lot. So me and my four brothers kind of had to figure out life. But, but thankfully, my mom and grandmother brought us to a small church in our neighborhood uh, that we went to. It was a really family-feel church, uh, about 40 people or so. And uh, there was a guy who started coming to, to the church. His name was Paul Terry. Uh, he was a carpenter by trade. 
Uh, he had just gotten saved a few years before that, moved into the neighborhood, started coming to his church. And uh, for whatever reason, he just took me under his wing. Um, he never went to Bible school, never seminary, you know, wasn't paid to do ministry, um, but had a heart for this young 12-year-old kid uh, in his church. And so on Friday nights, he would volunteer his time to go play basketball at a local ministry with high school guys. And uh, he would play basketball with them. He would take me with, and I would just sit at the sideline and kind of watch him uh, play. And then halfway in the game, he would call timeout, do a five-minute Bible study. Um, so here I am, just a 12-year-old kid, seeing Paul Terry, carpenter by trade, giving up his Friday nights to, to love on young men, to share the gospel with them, uh, to connect with them. On Saturdays, <clears throat> often he would do uh, odd jobs for families around the neighborhood. And so he would call me up, uh, uh, pick me up, you know, Saturday morning, 8 a.m., and uh, we would go paint someone's house. And he's teaching me work ethic. He's teaching me how to, how to paint a wall, <clears throat> which I never had someone do with me. Um, and the whole time we're doing projects like this, one, again, I'm watching him, seeing his heart for people, seeing his, his love to serve and give up his time again. But every time, the first question he would often ask me when he picked me up is, Brian, what, what's the word for the day? Um, as a 12-year-old kid, you know, I'm like, what do you mean what's the word for today? It's, it's Saturday. Like, chill out. Uh, the, word, the word's coming tomorrow, Sunday, right, when we go to church. Um, but he, he would go on and proceed to share what he, God had been speaking to him in his personal quiet times. Um, and he would just, you know, a couple minutes. Brian, this morning I was reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And I just been meditating on that, how the Lord is my shepherd. Um, and then on Sundays, he would often invite me, him and his wife would invite me over for dinner. Um, yeah, just after church. And literally at 12 years old, it was the first time I sat down at a dinner table with a family. Um, and I saw husband and wife love each other, interact with each other, so forth. Leading up to that point, I, I grew up in the church. Uh, my mom and, and grandmother were believers. They, they, they prayed consistently. They shared the gospel with us and so forth. But what I realized is I saw God through the lens of my earthly father in many ways. Um, because I, I heard that God is, is this father who loves you and cares for you and so forth. So, so in my mind, it's like, well, I only have one father that I know of, and this is how he is. So this must be how God is. So, yeah, if someone asked me, is God real? Of course he's real. You know, is God present? Of course he's present. Does, uh, does God want a relationship with me? No. You know, because there must be something wrong with me because my earthly father doesn't want a relationship with me um, again, unless I get out of line. Right. So so I better not get out of line with God. So he doesn't come down and, and, and smash me. Um, but again, Paul walking with me for two years, I was able to see God in a different light as a father, a father who cares, a father who desires intimacy, uh, a father who it, it, you don't earn his favor. Um, you, you, you respond to his favor, right? Um, and my, my life was transformed around 13, 14. I, I came to Christ and, um, he, he moves to Atlanta, you know, and I'm like, oh man, now what, you know, but my, my best friend Carlos got saved around the same time. We went to elementary school together. Uh, God was doing a work in his heart at the same time. God was doing work in my heart. We both come to Christ around the same time. And, uh, there was another guy in the neighborhood, Dave Woodier. Um, and Dave, Dave Woodier, he, for whatever reason, took us under his wing and just started hanging out with us. And uh, he would have us over at his house, and he would walk us through scriptures and, and pour into us and invest in us and so forth. Um, 
And then um, one day, about a year into that, he's like, Brian and Carlos, you guys have been growing. Uh, it's been amazing to see what God's doing in your life. You're, 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 you're in the Word of God. You're growing in, in your faith and so forth. But that's not enough as a believer. Uh, you need to be making disciples. You need to be sharing with, with other people. You need to be opening up your life and so forth. So what he did, he wrote down a, a list of kids from the neighborhood that he knew who were a few years younger than us. And he said, hey, I want you guys to go follow up on these kids and go invite them into your life. life. Um, start up a Bible study with them. Start ministering to them. Start, start in, hanging out with them. Um, so me and Carl's a freshman in high school, 14 years old. And uh, so we're like, okay, well... <laughs> This was done for us. I guess this is what Christians should do, right? Um, pour out in, into others. Uh, and so as freshmen in high school, we, we believed uh, because someone believed in us, right? Um, and so we, we, we came up with this Bible study group name. We called it Homies for Christ. If you, Most of this group probably won't know anything about Living Color, but it was a show that was popular back in the day. Um, it was Homie the Clown and, and so forth. So, so we called this Bible study group Homies for Christ. We made T-shirts up. I mean, we, we printed them off. We paid for them and so forth. We gave the kids these T-shirts. They, these were our, our homies. We hung out with them all the time, all throughout high school. They would, everywhere we went, they would go. And, and ministry was happening the same way that ministry happened to us, just on the go, in a relationship, right? Um, and we saw God work in that. So fast forward, I just thought as a teenager that this is the way Christians live their lives, that Christians who are ministered to, minister to others, invite people into their lives and so forth. And then, unfortunately, I realized this is not the normal rhythm of Christian living, um, so often our ministry becomes in a certain circle, a certain sphere, right? We go to our church building and run an Awana program, a youth ministry, um, a homeless shelter, right? We go to places and do ministry. And, and there's nothing wrong with those strategic times and places, right? But if we limit our ministry to that, we're really falling short. Um, of, of, of ministry because, again, ministry happens in our everyday life. It, it, it needs to happen in our everyday life because that's, that's how we learn, right? God, when you're born, you know, the ideal um, the raising of a child is not in an orphanage, right? It's like an orphanage is, is not the ideal situation to raise kids. Why? Because it's impersonal. Right, it's 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 a high ratio of people. Right, you have you have a couple of adults, right, who who have to raise all these kids and so forth. Right, the ideal is that two parents have a handful of kids. Right, um, back in the day, fifteen, you know, max, and you know now two and, and a dog. Right, um, but the, so 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 because because again, children learn by watching our lives as parents. Right. They learn how to tie the shoes. They learn how to talk. They learn how to walk by mimicking, by following, by replicating, by doing what they see, right? Um, and so how do, we, how do we bring our worlds together so that ministry is not a place we go to and home is a place we go to rest, right? Um, so if you could turn in your Bible to John chapter 1, I want to look at, look at this passage real quick. John chapter 1, so John the Baptist, 
um, is going around preaching a message of repentance, calling people to come be baptized by him in the River Jordan, right? To, to repent of your sins, to, to hope in the one who's, who's to come, right? Um, so John 1, 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, okay? So here John the Baptist is, right? The first mega church pastor. I mean, literally thousands of people know his name, listen to his message, respond to his message, right? Like this is the man, okay? But what is he doing in verse 35? He's hanging out with two of his disciples, right? In verse 35, right? The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. John, what are you doing? There's thousands out there. Go minister to the thousands, right? That's what you're called for. That's what you're gifted to do, right? Go preach to the masses. Why are you wasting time with two people right now? And two people seems insignificant. Uh, but in God's kingdom, it's, it's very significant, right? It, it's through the, 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 the few that the masses are reached as opposed to reaching through the masses, right? Um, and, and in this day and age, when, when a rabbi would be, a rabbi, when he teaches, he does what? He sits down. This is why Jesus is in the synagogue, right? He reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He stands up and reads from the scroll. And then he goes, sits down, and now he starts to unpack. He starts to teach it. So John the Baptist here, hanging with two of his disciples, he's not even doing any formal teaching right now. He's literally just hanging with them. He's doing life with them, two of his disciples, right? Now, uh, his father Bala said, right? And, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God, right? So Jesus walks by as a teachable moment right now, right? Here's the Lamb of God. He points to them, to Jesus, right? Um, knowing that it's, hey, guys, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Put your eyes upon Jesus. Trust in him, right? He's the one who's going to die for your sins, right? And again, for a Jew in 2,000 years ago, this would make perfect sense, right? Because they understood that lambs were sacrifices made on the behalf of people, right? And so, so again, this is what we're called to do, right? Proclaim people about Jesus. Teach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel, right? Unfortunately, I think this is where most of Western American evangelical churches stop. <laughs> it's about just preach the gospel, point people to Jesus, and, and let everything else take care of itself, right? Now, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus, right? Because they understood that it's not just about receiving this message that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Okay, I said this prayer. I, I, I signed this this paper, I, I went to the aisle, the altar, so forth, right? It's not just that. Now I need to go follow this person. I need to go follow this, this individual who, who is the Lamb of God. So these two disciples leave John the Baptist, start to follow Jesus, right? Verse 38, Jesus turns and says to them, what are you seeking? What do you want, right? Why are you following after me? Again, yo, you're here to rob me, right? You're here to, what, what, what's, what's going on, right? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means what? Teacher, Teacher right? So they, they recognize him as more than just the Lamb of God who takes away sins, but you're also the teacher who has something to offer me, right? We don't just call anybody teacher, right? If someone knows as much as you do, you don't call them teacher. But if you're in college, if you're in high school, if you're, if you're in school, right, or, or if in your, you're in a setting where you're trying to learn from somebody, you may call them teacher, right? Teach me something. Offer me something. And in our mind, that usually means 
open up a book, right? Write something on the board, right? Like show me, teach me, verbal, verbally teach me, right? Um, so they call him rabbi, which means teacher. But, but look what they say right after that. Right after they identify him as rabbi, which means teacher. Notice that they don't say, where are you teaching at? It's where do you live? Where are you staying? Why? Why? Like, imagine your your favorite podcast preacher today, right? Whoever that is, right? You meet them at at Starbucks, right? You you're like going to Starbucks, get coffee. You see them in the room, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's you, right? Your 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 teaching the word has has ministered to me so much, so forth, right? Um, you might ask, hey, would you, would you mind meeting with me, you know, for coffee? You might sitting down and breaking some, some truth down, right? Would, you know, can you tell me, yo, uh, how can I find your messages, right? Where's your podcast at? You might, you might say, hey, you, are you preaching in town? You know, can I come and, and hear you preach, right? Now imagine if you ask that favorite preacher of yours as you run into them at Starbucks, yo, where are you staying at? What kind of response will you get? Whoa, you're a stalker. You're you're asking too much here, right? What do you mean, where am I staying? This is, I'll tell you where my podcast is. I'll tell you where 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 I'm preaching at. You know, I might meet with you at Starbucks to answer some questions, right? But where I'm staying at, that's 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 my space, right? That's me and my family's space. That's where I go after I pour out. Right, so that I could get refueled and recharged. But so they asked Jesus, "Where are you staying?" Because where you're staying is who you really are. You you let your hair down. You get comfortable. Right? It's it's easy in a, in a classroom in in a, in a church building. Right? To 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 put on a, an aura of spirituality for a couple hours. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Right? And we put that smile on, and everything's just great and dandy, right? But we know it. When on the car right there, we cussed our spouse out, you know? We were yelling at our children, right? We know that, that, that our finances are a mess because we haven't been wise stewards of our finances. We know that, that we hate our neighbor who lives next door because their dog always poops on our yard, right? Like, we have all this mess, <laughs> And we don't want anybody to know about that part of us. We want to keep that hidden, right? And so when I come to minister, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my A game. I'm going to put on my mask. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I want you to see. But Jesus here, right? And when he's asked, where are you staying? What's his response? Come and you will see. Notice they just call him rabbi, which means teacher. He, he doesn't say, come and you will hear my teaching. He says, come and you will see my teaching. You will see the rabbi live his life out. Teaching needs to be spoken, right? I'm not saying we, don't, we stop preaching messages or we stop having Bible studies. I'm not saying that. But that's such a small segment of our teaching. Again, for those who've had kids, you don't sit them on the couch and bring a whiteboard in and draw a toilet and say, okay, these are the three steps you do to be potty trained, right? It's like point, step one, you go to the restroom, 
Hallelujah. Amen. Someone say, someone say amen, right? <laughs> Step two, right? You, you pull down your pants. Huh? Hallelujah, right? Step, right? We don't do that to our children, right? We model it. We model it to them. Watch mommy. Watch daddy as we go potty, right? Um, and then they start to do it. <laughs> well, they're your children, right? I, I would think that's kind of, you bring them into, your, into the restaurant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's modeling, right? It, you tie your shoes, right? You, you, you tie the shoes for them and ask them to watch, right? And, and then eventually they pick it up and, and they see mommy and daddy walking. And, and, and so you, they start to try to emulate that, right? So again, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying in, and they stayed with him for an hour because that's the time that he allotted to them. What does it say? That was a trick. I was just seeing you guys paying attention there. <laughs> they stayed that day with him. For it was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. So they spent the day with him. You're talking about until the next morning. Okay. Um, they spent from 4 p.m. until the next morning when they woke up with Jesus. Right. Think about that. We're talking about at least 12 hours, if not longer. Come, see where I stay. And I'm sure they came with a, a whole load of questions. And, and they get hungry, and someone has to feed, feed them. Someone has to make a meal. Let's see if Jesus is going to serve us. Let's see if he's going to practice hospitality. Let's see what he does when his when his neighbor's dog comes over and poops on the lawn, right? Let's see how he interacts with us when we start to get annoying and ask too many questions. Let's see if he pushes us out of his house, right? They spend that day with him. Jesus opens up his life, all of it, to them, right? Come and you'll see they stay that day. If it was about the 10th hour, then look, look what happens in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we know out of these two disciples, one is who? Andrew. It's Andrew, right? Uh, I, I believe the other one is John, the, the author of this. Um, so you have Andrew who after spending a day with Jesus, immediately does what? He goes and gets his brother, right? He's like, he has to tell somebody. This is like the woman at the wall, right? Who, who once she spends time with Jesus, she has to go tell other people, right? Because this is more than just a message, a good message that I heard. This is a good man that I, I, I saw, right? Um, so he goes, gets his brother, Simon Peter, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the what? The Messiah, which means Christ. Now, what's the idea of the Messiah or the Christ in, in the Old Testament scriptures? The idea of the Christ is the people of God understood that the way that the creation was currently was not the way it was intended to be. God made his perfect garden and put Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden. And he walked with them in the cool of the day. Yet sin happens, right? And it messes everything up. Now there's pain in childbirth, right? Now, now there's, there's animosity between husband and wife, right? Now, now work is going to be hard labor, right? The, the whole earth, the whole world is 
broken now because of sin, right? And so they understood that, that God would send this anointed one. Isaiah 61 talks about this. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, right? They understood that this, this Messiah, this Christ, this, this new king would come and, and he would restore the creation back to the way it was intended to be, okay? This was the idea of the Christ. Again, not, not someone who just, just preaches the gospel, but someone who lives it out as well. And someone, someone, again, as we see in Jesus, doesn't, when the blind person comes to him, doesn't just say, well, I, I, you know, I'll tell you the gospel. <laughs> he, 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 he heals him. And when the hungry comes, doesn't just say, I'll give you the gospel, but who feeds the hungry, right? Um, this, this is why, again, the, the, like, we, we, we have to be as Christians more concerned with, than with a whole person, right? Where there's brokenness, where there's need, right? What good is it if, if, if a person comes to you and says they're hungry and, and, and you don't offer them something if you have it, right? So, so this idea of this Christ would come who would, again, heal the blind, who would feed the hungry, who would, who would uh, proclaim the gospel message, who would do all of it, right? Who would restore creation back to its original intention. So again, by spending one night with Jesus, <laughs> Andrew realizes that Jesus is more than just the Lamb of God who dies for the sins, He's more than just a rabbi who invites people to come and abide with him, to come and hang with him. He's also the Christ who is restoring a broken creation. So where there is brokenness, Christ and his people should be there, right? Um, meeting that need. So he brings them to Jesus, and, and Jesus looks at Simon and he says, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called what? Cephas, right? Which means Peter or, or rock, right? I think what Jesus is doing here, he, he, he looks at Simon, he's like, yo, I know about your mess. Your brother hung out with me all night yesterday. He told me about his big brother. He told me about how, how passionate he is, but often that passion drives him to impulsiveness, right? Impulsivity, right? Um, he's like, yo, my brother, he's, he's the man. Like, he, he's going to speak his mind. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be the first one to... To, to, to lead the charge and so forth, but sometimes he doesn't really think about what he does first, right? Um, as we see with Simon Peter, right, throughout the Gospels. Jesus says, I know who you are. You are Simon, son of John. You are a mess, but you shall be, right? He speaks promise. You shall be a rock. You shall be firm, right? And now what Jesus does, he invites these disciples to come follow him. And for the next three years, where Jesus sleeps, they're there. Where, when Jesus eats, they're there. When Jesus does miracles, they're there, right? Again, Jesus doesn't set up a ministry hours, office hours for his disciples. He invites them into his regular rhythm of life so that when he does ministry, when he loves people, that they are there, Um. Stats would show us that, well, let me, let me ask this room, okay. How many of you came to Christ through a crusade, uh, like 
a Billy Graham crusade, you saw a, an ad on TV or something like that, and you went to this crusade and you came to Christ, or you were walking past a church like like uh, Charles Spurgeon says, and and heard God speak through the preacher, and just walked into the church and gave your life to Christ. Who had kind of an experience like that? You know, really with just coming to an event, hearing the gospel, coming to Christ. One. How many of us came to Christ? When we think of our testimony, there's at least one person involved in that testimony who, who shared the gospel with us, who prayed with us, who opened up scriptures with us, so forth. Okay. Yeah. That, that is the majority of people. There are some people, you know, again, who, who is more of a kind of a, a miraculous, more God just drawn their heart and, and they just walk into a church or, or hear Christian radio or something like that, right? That happens. But for the most part, for the most part, most people, 95, I would say about 90% of people, come to Christ because of an individual who opened up their life to you, right? A parent, uh, a, a, a neighbor, um, you know, a, a coach, a teacher, you know, so forth, right? A friend. Um, that's how most people, again, What's come that to Christ. Back to your modeling what your parents are doing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and even beyond Jesus, right, this is how Paul does, does ministry. He, he speaks of, in, in 1 Timothy, was it, Second uh, Timothy 3, He's, he speaks to Timothy. Paul speaks to Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, right? This idea of you have followed my teaching, my conduct. You have followed me, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? But yeah, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Those are three towns that Timothy was with Paul in, right? Again, wherever Paul went, Timothy was there with him. Um, and, and, and again, so it's, it's allowing people not to see just what we want them to see. But again, to see the struggles, Right, and so when we invite people into our life, you know what? They're going to see some mess. They're going to see some failures. They're going to see how you're short with your children, and they're going to see how you don't always respond to the person who cuts you off in traffic. Well, and they're going to see that sometimes you 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 uh, you have funds and you don't help someone in need. Right? They're going to see that, but but in that, what they should see is is a a person who depends upon God, right? A broken person who, who, who's not perfect, but who depends upon a perfect one, right? Um, again, let people see our lives. Now, now the word hospitality, okay? Um, hospitality is commanded at least two times in the, in the New Testament, okay? One is commanded for all believers in 1 Peter uh, 4.9. It says, be hospitable one to another, right? This is a command. So if you're not being hospitable, what are you doing? You're breaking a command. Let's, let's give it a stronger word than that. Sin. You're sinning, right? You're in sin. Just like if you're having sex outside of marriage. Just like if you murder somebody, right? Just like if you lie to somebody, right? Like... Not practicing hospitality is sin. And so it, it, when we realize we're in sin, what do we need to do? Repent, 
right? To turn from that, right? To, to ask forgiveness of, of God who's gracious to forgive us, right? And to ask for his help to, to, to grow in that area, right? So it's commanded for all believers. And, and, and what other passage does hospitality come up in? Anybody? What about the qualifications for elders? In 1 Timothy uh, and, and Titus, right? Same idea. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and the Titus 1, 8, right? Your pastor, or if you're a pastor yourself, right? If, if, if you cheated with your secretary, are you going to be pastoring if you're caught? No. If you embezzle funds from your church, are you going to be pastoring and you're caught? No. If you, if you cuss out a member... And you, you lose your temper and you get angry with them and cuss them out. Are you going to be pastoring? No, most likely not, right? Um, there's some exceptions to that, but for the most part, no, right? Um, if you're not hospitable, if you don't open up your house, will you be pastoring? I would say 99% of the time you will be, right? I've never met one person who's sat down for ministry because they weren't being hospitable. But that qualification is, is listed with all the other qualifications of an elder, a pastor, right? Why do we not put it at the same level? Um, I think we let our culture dictate our view of scriptures. Um, we live in an American society that's very individualistic. It, it's, it's about, this is your privacy, this is your life, you know? Um, this is do, do you, Right? Um, and we let our culture dictate our Christianity more than we would like to admit. But again, we are commanded, every believer is commanded to be hospitable. Every elder is commanded to be hospitable. This is a command. It's not an option. It's not something like, this is a good ministry tool that will grow your church. No, this is a command to be obedient to the king. Right? Um, now, hospitality is made up of two Greek words. I went to Chicago Public Schools, so I'm just, I have to think about this a little bit, okay? Um, two Greek words. Anybody know what those Greek words? Any scholars in this room? This is a Greek word you're probably familiar with, right? What, what is this? Brotherly love. Brotherly love, right? Anybody know what this word is? Stranger. Stranger. Is being hospitable, inviting your friends over to your house to watch a football game? Not really. That's a good thing to do, but that's natural. Even the most selfish people probably do that on occasion, right? What is hospitality? Brotherly love to strangers, right? That you welcome the stranger, the person you don't know, to your house or into your life. I don't think hospitality even needs to be isolated to your house. But in your life, are you inviting the stranger into your life? Are you showing them brotherly love, right? So again, that might be inviting them to your house at the dinner table, you know, or for a game night, right? That might be hanging out with them at Starbucks. It, it, it might be inviting them to, to run errands with you, right? But again, are we inviting the stranger into our life, into our rhythms, okay? This is, again, what we are called to do, commanded to do, right? 
Um, so again, ministry and home should not be isolated, right? Um, but in my mind, they, they, they should be brought in together. They should be intertwined, right? Because at the end of the day, you're outside of work, you're probably spending more time at home than anywhere else, right? Um, you come home 6 p.m. and you have dinner with your, your family, and then you, you know, hang out with the kids, and then you put them to bed, and then you and your spouse may lay in bed and watch a show, you know, until you doze off, right? What are we doing with that time in our house? Now, let me ask you a question. Why, why are we less likely to invite people into our home, invite people into our space? What hesitations are there? You realize someone took your phone charger. Crap, come on. You got to buy another phone charger, right? Um, someone spilled a cup of coffee on, the, on your new carpet, right? Um, and now it's like, ah, we were boys, but now I don't like you no more, right? What are you going to say? Yeah, just influence, the way they influence your kids. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of people who have kids, they break your kids' toys, kids having to clean up after them, just uh, those implications. Yeah, are they, are they going to be a negative influence on, on, on my children, which is a legitimate concern, right? It's just work. It's you know, work. sometimes you want to come home and just... Just rest. I want to put my feet up, right? Yeah. Our home may not be clean, representable, right? And, and we're like, they're going to think we're a mess. They're going to think our children are, are wild and disobedient, right? Some of us are introverts, and we need time to unpack mm-hmm. the, the, the interaction in the world, but that's also just like all the rest of them, an excuse. Yeah. If I'm honest, it's, I'm worn out doing ministry, just like you were saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm exhausted by the time I get home. There's so many events, and you don't finish one event until you're doing another event, and it's just priorities in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all these, right? Again, like if we're scale them all, some are, some are legitimate reasons, right? Um, but are they justifiable to keep us? You know, I would say no, right? Again, if if it is a command, then we have to figure out a way to make it happen, right? And so, how do how do we how do we again make margin? How do we make it so that we're not worn out when we come home, right? Um, because in, in, in the same way, if, if, if we're a husband or a wife to a spouse, right, if we're a parent to a child, hopefully we, we're figuring out, okay, how do I come home and give my family the best, right? Because um, otherwise your children are going to hate you, right? Growing up, your, your spouse, you and your spouse are going to keep getting divided, right, um, until eventually it ends in, in, in a broken marriage, right? Um, so, so in, 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 in family dynamics, we have to figure out how to make it work, right? Um, so w- what are some ideas of, of, the, of the reasons that were given for, for not practicing hospitality? What, 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 are, what are some habits that maybe people in this room, let's do some joint peer-to-peer kind of sharing, um, that you've done to, to help you be rested when you come home, right, to, to open up your, your life and so forth, or as an introvert, right, to, to do this, or, or, you know, when you've had someone who spilled something on your carpet, like, what, is, what, what are some, some practices that, that we do uh, to, to grow in this area? 
I mean, I think you have to be intentional in family rhythms, and so depending on what type of you know setup you have with church, you know, some rhythms is okay. Wednesday night is having the entire family group or my small group coming over on Wednesday, and then you know you have some margins, whether it's a Thursday or another day, to kind of like okay, some of the guys that we're reaching out to somebody, hey, we're coming to have coffee or hang out at the house to have some of that hang time type of deal. Mm -hmm. So just intentionally thinking it through and thinking it out. To yeah. It yeah. So home early and, and clean the house, you'll be a winner. Uh, uh, get away from people. And again, like he said, make, make time, make space, plan it out. I know for us, uh, I pastor a church plant that we, we started, my wife and I, we have seven kids, and she's pregnant with our eighth, and the church plant was birthed out of our home. And so we had to be very intentional about how we do everything, like even Sunday nights, like we still have 80 to 100, 125 people at our house every Sunday night, people at our house during the week. Our kids play middle school basketball, I coach a travel basketball team. Like We're super busy, but <clears throat> some of the things that we've done is we, we invite them into the flow of our life, this hospitality. Like We have people who show up to our kids' games. They ride with us to the games. We're talking about it as we walk down the road. Somebody, my wife and I, we may, we may walk at lunch where we have that intimate time, and I, I don't have lunch with someone else, but I have it with her walking down the road talking about life and, um, and just uh, the flow of opening our house up. Uh, it's sacrifice, you know, especially for our kids, but our, our kids have to understand, like, you're not the center of the world. Like, you're called to make disciples, and we as parents have to set that example while we're discipling you. And so last year we had, a, we had this opportunity where uh, a homeless couple, we had 80 people at our house for a, a football party, and a homeless family of five show up at our door, and they're like, we heard if we come here, you give us a place to stay. And I'm like, oh, oh. And what I didn't understand is this same guy on social media, everybody was talking about how they wanted to kill him because he had done drugs in the room with their daughter and they lost their daughter. And like everybody on social media is blessing this guy. And he shows up at my door and he's like, we're homeless. We have nowhere to go. We, we got a bag of clothes. And these guys are walking through our, our, our playroom, through our house, through all these groups of people. And we're throwing their clothes in the washer and they're, they're sleeping in our kids' playroom. And for me as a dad, I'm sitting here like, I'm having a hard time sleeping at night, and I'm using it as a teaching tool for my kids to say, kids, listen, like, we, we can't just follow Jesus when it's comfortable. Like, we have to set an example for the world of, of what sacrifice looks like. And so for us, it, 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 is a, it is a struggle, but at the same time, like, the teaching lessons that it's done for discipling our kids is, like, innumerable. I mean, it's insane. Hey, what else? I was just going to say, in connection to that, I mean, it proves to be worth it. Um, and I think that alleviates a lot of those things. You know, it's like, like anything else, once you start doing it, you start to see that it is life-giving. And, you know, those, those sacrifices that you make end up energizing you to do more and, and to go further each time. So yeah. um, it's one of those things I don't think you could just come up with a step-by-step -step solution to, like, hey, this is going to make me ready for hospitality. You just got to start practicing hospitality. You just got to start doing the command, you know, That's and, and seeing how it enriches your own life. And I, I wouldn't say that, you know, we're there, but um, the more that we do it, the more that you know, we want to do it, um, and the more that just becomes the norm. Um, so... 
I think that's really because you know, truth is, our house is going to be messy when people come over, and you know, there's no way around that. I'm not going to, as much as I try to clean my house, I got little kids, so my house is going to be a disaster. And that's part of the authenticity piece that's mm-hmm. necessary for hospitality. So, um, you know, we try to try to do the best that we can, keeping it clean, but sometimes you're coming over to a messy house, and that's real life. So, um, but it has proved to be worth it. I guess is is my simple answer there. Yeah. And I would attest to that just, again, seeing the fruit of it in my own life. You know, here's someone who works hard during the week, um, who's, again, inviting me into the rhythm of his life, right? Not just in his home, but just to go places with him, where he goes, right? Um, And being someone who's an introvert, like extreme. So my wife is, at least when we got married, my wife was an extreme extrovert. I was extreme introvert. We kind of dragged each other a little bit. But we're still on our own sides of the spectrum and so forth. So I know what what my wife does when we invite people over. She'll usually, if she's cooking dinner that night, she'll have somebody help her. And she's discipling and and teaching, you know, on how to cook meals and, you know, and and just catching up on life while while they're doing that. For me, if I'm cooking that night, I, I need to unwind as an introvert. And so usually I'll do that by myself. So I have half hour, 45 minutes, right, to unwind before our guests come over for dinner and, and, and I have to engage them and so forth, right? So you have to know yourself. And um, my wife and I, we, we have young men who live with us. We, we, we've never had biological kids, but we've had uh, around 200 young men who lived with us over the years, 20, 19 years of marriage. Paul lives with us now, one of, one of four guys lives, lives with us. Uh, um, you know, so has... You know, for for us, you know, when we were looking to buy a house, we were like, let's let's get a house with some space, right? And so, um, but but we set up stuff where again we have a date night to to invest in our marriage. Um, so we we take take charge of that. Um, but again, the rest of the time is we, we're investing in the guys when we come home from work. Um, we also, when we set up our dinner table, we always we always think of who one or two people that we can invite. Uh, to join us that night, you know, in addition to uh, the guys who live with us. And so we're, we're strategic about that, again, um, at least a few days a week, who, who we're going to invite. And then, but then there's also just people who know our, our door is unlocked all the time, and we live in the hood. Um, but our door is unlocked because people are just walking in, neighbors, uh, kids that my wife works in, in, the, in the local school in the area, so they're over all the time, right? Um, but yeah, and I've just I've just seen the fruit of it. You know, I could think of uh, when we first got married. Um, I was doing youth ministry at a community Christian center, and so I would go to the center, hang out with high school students, um, go serve in the schools, um, minister to them, and so forth. And you know, in that stage of life, you know, I would come home and we, we would have certain nights that we would have youth over at the house to have game nights and dinner and so forth. Um, but but youth was my paradigm of what my ministry calling was to do. And so I would park my car, walk up to our apartment, and uh, I just noticed one day, man, I'm just, I'm walking past people, even come to my apartment that I don't even know. Um so one day I got convicted about that. I, I, I stopped on, on the way to the apartment. I saw this guy walking the other direction. I was, I was like, hey, what's your name? You know, as an introvert, that's hard. You know, let me tell you. So um, 
like I, I, I start to sweat every time I have to speak to, to somebody, right? Uh, my stomach starts to churn and so forth. So it's not easy for me to do. Uh, but I introduced myself and, and, and got to know him. And his name was Craig. And I was in my early 20s at the time, mid-20s. He was in his early 40s at the time, so almost twice my age. And uh, the, the next day, I, I saw him again, and, and we went a little further in conversation. I realized he was a homeless guy. He did, he did appear homeless, um, but he was a guy, and he was in the military in, in his late teens, early 20s, and got addicted to, to heroin um, while he was in the military. And for the last 20 years of his life, kind of, you know, sometimes he could hold down a job, sometimes he couldn't. Um, but it got him bad again. And uh, so he was on, on the streets. And uh, third time I saw him again, I'm like, yo, Craig, my wife and I are going to have dinner. You want to join us? And so we invited him into the house and heard more of his story, how he kind of he had a believing mother who, who shared the gospel with him. And, you know, he knew the word of God and so forth, but just wasn't walking with it. Um, so then that led to, hey, Craig, what do you think about if you come over every Wednesday night and, and we have we have dinner and, and feel free to invite your friends and let's just start studying scriptures together, start studying John. And so, so he did that. And, and every week he would bring guys with him um, who were in the same predicament as he was, you know. Um, and then that led to my wife and I talking like, man, Craig, he needs, he, it's, it's winter now, it's getting cold, he needs, he needs a place to stay. Uh, we didn't have any guest bedrooms at the time, but we had a couch. And it's like, well... The couch is available at nighttime, so let's let's see if he, he would stay with us. Um, so we invited Craig to uh, to stay with us for for the winter, and uh, that prolonged to about a year uh, time of him staying with us. And this whole time, you know, my wife and I weren't we didn't go to school to how to get people off drugs. <laughs> we 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 didn't really know about how to minister to homeless population. You know, uh, we didn't know about how to minister to people who were almost twice our age so forth. But, but we had the gospel ministry. We, we had the calling call to be hospitable, right, to welcome strangers. Um, and so, so Craig would stay with us, and, and one time, about three months into it, he disappears for a few days, and, you know, we're, we're concerned about him, so we start driving the neighborhood, and, and we find him. And, and, and w- once he sees us, he starts to walk in the other direction, and we run to him and we call him, Craig, Craig, you know, come, come home. You, you're okay. And he, you could just tell he's just looking down. He's ashamed because he fell again into this addiction. Um, and we shared him of, of our love for us, brought him back to the house, right? And so for a few months, it, it was good again. You know, we're getting the word together. We're, we're, we're walking with him. He's, he's having victory and so forth. And then he fell again. And then the third time it happens, you know, we never see him again. Um, Ten years pass, we, we move to, to another neighborhood. We buy a house in another neighborhood. But every time we're, we're driving through our own neighborhood, we're praying for Craig. We're looking for Craig. We're keeping our eyes open for Craig, right? Trusting God, do, do the work that you've begun, right? Um, ten years later, we get a letter in the mail. This is about two years ago now. We get a letter in the mail, and it's, and it's addressed from a Craig Smith. And we're like, there's no way that could be Craig, but we open up the letter, right? And he starts to write. He says, Brian and Heidi, I hope this is you guys. My, my daughter found this address online. And uh, I've been trying to find you guys for the last five years. Uh, he says, I, 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 I've, I've come to Christ. I'm involved in a church. I moved out of the city. I'm in Iowa. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I've been clean. I've been working a stable job. And I'm getting married next month. And I, and, and I want you guys to be there, you know. Um, so my wife and I, obviously, we're, we're there at the wedding. And then when we get there and we see him walk down the aisle with his wife, right? And, and, and since then, we've been to his house a, a number of times where they've been able to practice hospitality to us. And, and we've spent weekends at their house and, and connect with them. And they've made us meals and, and so forth and um, to, to, to meet his pastor and to hear what God's doing and, and so forth. And um, Again, we, we never know. Abraham. You know, when, when the three strangers come, right, to his house, um, and, and he, he goes to get the flour and to, to make the bread, right? Um, and, he, and, he, and he kills a, a calf for them and, and makes a meal. And then in the midst of those three strangers, one of them is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Like, he, he, he welcomes Jesus, not knowing it. These are just three strangers, right? And that's just, to me, a reminder. Like, we just never know who that stranger is that, that we might invite into our space. Again, whether it's our dinner table, whether it's, it's just into, into our regular rhythm of life, you know, um, what God would do both in our own hearts. Because I could tell you that Craig ministered to us in ways that we could never have imagined. Um, we learned how to pray. We learned how to trust in God. You know, that, that again, we planted seeds. And, and Math, Mark 4, right, talks about the farmer sows a seed and he sleeps night and day. And, he, and, and the, the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Right. Like we, we learned that, you know what, at the end of the day, we're called to minister. But the but at the end of the day, God's the one who produced the harvest. Right. So so God didn't need us to finish the work in Craig's life. He brought other people into his life. He used he, he calls the seeds that were planted to grow. Right. Again, when when we don't practice hospitality, when we don't welcome people into our lives, when we don't welcome strangers into our lives, we miss out on so many blessings that we will never even know about, right? Of, of seeing God work in lives. And, and I've got plenty of stories like Craig, you know, of, of individuals who, Jarvis, we had a guy, one of the guys living with us, we, he started volunteering at the local high school. And he meets a student, Jarvis, who his father was in and out of jail uh, his whole life. His mom was killed when he was about seven or eight years old. Uh, by a bullet that was targeted for his father. Um, he was living with his, his, his aunt at the time. Um, Jarvis was on the track team. That was kind of his, his, his way to kind of deal with all the hurt and pain. And so Mitch, the guy living with us, starts to minister to Jarvis and starts to invite him into our house. And he would come and, and have dinner with us and hang out. And those conversations, late-night conversations where... Uh, uh, Mitch and some of the other guys living in our house sharing with Jarvis over the course of a year and a half where Jarvis comes to Christ. Um, and Jarvis now is, is married, just had a baby, raising that. Now he's able to be a father in a way that he never had. Uh, why? Because someone was obedient to, to the command to be hospitable, right? Um, Again, we're, we're missing out on so many opportunities, right? So I know our, our time is, is limited here, 
But again, if, if, if one thing I can encourage us to walk away with, right, is to break this divide as much as we can, right, uh, to bring those worlds together. Like, how do, how do we do ministry in the home, on our block, in our house, in our lot, life cycles, right? Um, one thing I do is I never go anywhere alone. And again, as an introvert, that, that can be challenging at times, right? And so, you know, I'm coming to Nashville from Chicago to, to teach a couple workshops, right? Um, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to reach out to guys that I'm walking with life with and see who's available to come with me, right? And I'm going to bring them in. In the car ride, we're listening to, to podcasts and, and we're talking through things. And as we divide into workshops, I'm asking, we're sharing ideas of what we've learned together and so forth. But again, how, how can you join your life together? Because again, ministry should not be something that we have to find time for. It should be something that we invite people into our time, right? Um, so if you're already going to have a meal, can you invite somebody over? If you're already going to uh, study a, for a message or a lesson that you're teaching, can you invite someone to join you in that time? If you're already going to have a quiet time, can you invite someone to join you? If you're going to fast and pray, can you invite somebody to join you? Right. Um, so thanks again for your time. Um, let us be Christians who practice hospitality in our lives, who invite people into the normal rhythms. Uh, let strangers become friends and, and friends become brothers and sisters. Um, amen. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. We mentioned at the beginning of this episode a free ebook called Inviting Along by Jason Dukes. Download this at discipleship.org/ebooks. May the Lord bless you as you make disciples wherever you might find yourself. Until next time.